It seems to me that all my life I've heard all men are created equal. When I became a Christian in 1975, my young friend, who's about 10 years younger than I, and had been a Catholic, and he became a Christian about six months before I did. And we were talking about this subject of all men being created equal. So we decided to try to find that scripture. We looked and we looked and we looked and we could not find it in the Bible. I had a bookkeeper at that time at my business and her husband was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. So we went to Walt and asked him, where is that in the Bible where it says all men are created equal because we can't find it? Walt says, it's not in the Bible. We were both shocked. Seems like I've heard it all my life. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. We build our house on what the Bible says, what the New Testament Bible says. The rules of God are in the New Testament Bible. Also, by reading the New Testament Bible, we can see what God thinks about things. One of the frequent subjects that humans deal with is the subject of divorce and remarriage. We had a woman in our little church group, and this happened to her even before she was born again, and certainly long before we knew her. But she had married and had two children and divorced. She met a man she wanted to marry, so she she took this man and they went to a pastor. I don't know what kind of church it was, but she had been raised Baptist, so it might have been a Baptist church. I don't know. But she asked this pastor, she said, I am a divorced woman. I want to know if we can marry since I'm a divorced woman. The pastor said to her, well, I don't see any problem with that. My sister is divorced and remarried. So the woman and this man married. Later, she was born again and began reading the Bible. And she saw scriptures in the Bible which convinced her that she, as a divorced woman, had committed adultery upon remarriage after divorce. And she was so angry with this pastor. But she had a Bible. Why can't she look it up? Why did she have to go to a pastor to have him tell her? Why didn't she take the Bible and just simply look up all the scriptures on divorce and remarriage and compare one scripture upon another and pray asking God to show her the truth? Why didn't she do that? Why go to a pastor? who may or may not tell you what's in the Bible. Very often, churches don't go by the New Testament Bible. They go by some of the New Testament Bible, but they remove other portions of the New Testament Bible when it does not suit them. One time I went to a luncheon at Texas Tech University when I lived in Lubbock. Seated next to me was a man who was 
wearing the largest cross around his neck that I've ever seen. It was wooden, and I think it was at least eight inches long. He began talking to the people at the table. There were probably six to eight people seated at our table. And he said that he was the former pastor at Indiana Street Baptist Church. He said, oh, we have such a problem at the church. But when he said that, everybody paid attention, wanting to know what was the problem. And he said, we have built onto the church building three times, and we still can't see all of the people who are trying to come to church. I said to him, well, if you would teach what Jesus says in the Bible, in Matthew 5, 32, where Jesus says, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, divorce his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. If you would teach that to your church group, you would have no problem with seating because about half of them would get up and leave you when they found they were committing adultery by divorcing and remarrying, and they were committing adultery if they married a divorced woman. His mouth fell open. I got up and left. I was not going to sit by such a man and have dinner. So often they do not teach in the churches all of the scripture. They teach some of the scripture, but not all of the scripture. And when they remove scripture from the church and do not teach it, that is Antichrist, because it is Antichrist who is just waiting to move into the church and take over and teach the opposite to what the Bible says. And when the church begins to change a scripture or remove the scripture or fails to teach the scripture, that is the restraint that was holding Antichrist back. For the scripture is technically Jesus the word. All scripture is inspired by God. So even if Paul spoke it, being in the Bible like that shows us it is the will of God it is sometimes the commandment of God for the New Testament church. There is one section of scripture where Paul even states that this is a commandment of the Lord for the New Testament church. And that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, And unto the married I command... Yet not I, but the Lord. This is a commandment for the New Testament church, for the married. Let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. Let not the wife depart from her husband. That's a commandment of the Lord, says Paul. But, and if she depart, now she might depart because of him beating her up or being a drunkard or something like that. But if she does depart, let her remain unmarried. Because if she 
remarries after divorce, she commits adultery. And even if she has to leave him, personally, I don't believe she should divorce him. Let him divorce her. But if she does have to leave him, let her purpose in her heart that she will not remarry, that she will be reconciled to her husband. If he should remarry, that does not free her from this scripture. She has to purpose in her heart that she will never remarry if she leaves her husband. That is a commandment of the Lord, says Paul. We'll read it once more. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11. And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Again, in Matthew 5.32, Jesus says, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, and he is speaking to the men in this situation, whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. Jesus is telling us that if you divorce a faithful wife and she remarries, she commits adultery but you will be the cause of her adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. If you marry a divorced woman, you commit adultery. This used to be taught in churches. I had some friends who were a little older than I. He had been in World War II, and so he was older than I. And he married my best friend, who was a divorced woman. She kept it a secret that she was divorced. I didn't know she was divorced until I'd been around her several months, and then she revealed to me that she had been divorced. I asked her husband, Hal, I asked him, if you had known Donna was divorced, would you have dated her? His wife had died of cancer, and he wanted to marry and he was totally free to marry. At the church group, he began looking for possible women to date, and he found two. Donna was one of them, and he decided on her, but he didn't know she'd been divorced. So he started dating her. He fell in love with her. He wanted to marry her, and then she revealed to him she had been divorced. I said to Hal, if you had known Donna was divorced. Would you have dated her? He thought about it. He says, no, I don't believe I would have. He knew those scriptures. You could tell. I could tell. But he went ahead and married Donna because by that time he had fallen in love with her. But he said if he had known she was divorced, he wouldn't have even dated her. Of course, he shouldn't have denied the scripture even when he found out, but I'm sure that most people by that time would have because the scripture has to mean more to us than anything else in the world. It's that pearl of great price that the man found this pearl of great price and he knew it was above anything he'd ever seen and he went out and sold everything he had to buy that one pearl and that's what Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven unto. 
The scriptures are so important to us that no matter what it costs us, we obey them when we belong to God and become more mature in things of God. We had a man in our church group that filed divorce papers against his wife. I found out about it, so I called him. I asked him, I said, was she unfaithful? And he said, "Uh, no. I said, well, the only scriptural reason you have to divorce your wife is if she was unfaithful. And I told him to look at Matthew 5, 32. Apparently he did, because he withdrew the divorce proceedings from the courts after he looked at Matthew 5, 32. Once again, that says, Jesus says, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, the only scriptural reason to divorce your wife is fornication. That whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. If she remarries, she will commit adultery, but you, the husband who divorced that faithful wife, will be held accountable by God. You will be the cause of her adultery. And Jesus says, And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. That's not taught in any church that I've ever been to. I've been in and out of different churches since uh, 1975, and I've never heard this taught. I've never heard it taught that the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Why wouldn't they teach that? That's what Jesus says. Why wouldn't they teach it? It would not be popular. They would have people leaving their church group. They would lose money. They would have fewer number of people. When that is the case, those preachers become antichrist, opening the door for things to come into the church that are opposite to the word of God. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, which shows antichrist coming into the church itself. If you will look for a moment at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. In this passage of Scripture, Paul talks about the last days and before Jesus comes, and he says before Jesus comes, there will be a falling away, meaning in the churches. God said to me in 1982, this falling away are not people leaving the church group. The falling away are the churches leaving the scriptures. Paul says in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first. This was going to be churches falling away from specific scriptures. And that man of sin be revealed because the minute they fall away from scriptures, Antichrist is revealed. Antichrist is a spirit that lives inside of humans. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, because the falling away shows that Antichrist is there when they fall away from scripture. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship, 
so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. It is the removal of scripture which opens the door for Antichrist to move into the church group. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, in the New American Standard Bible, this is called the apostasy. The falling away is called the apostasy, and it is the apostasy which takes place in churches. In the last days before Jesus returns, we see it all over the world today in church groups where they have set aside scripture and are teaching another doctrine. But you have a New Testament Bible. If they're teaching something opposite from the New Testament Bible, why are you staying in that church group? It's a church of the apostasy. So you should be the one getting out. The first church group that I went to in 1975, I knew none of these scriptures. But the first church group that I went to in 1975 was a non-denominational church called Believer's Chapel. It was doctrinally somewhere between Church of Christ and Baptist. They were teaching at the time that I went there, the pastor was teaching that tongues are of the devil. I don't think I'd ever heard of the word tongues before that time. So I really didn't care about the subject of tongues. But one day I was reading in 1 Corinthians 14 and Paul said, forbid not to speak in tongues in the church. Don't forbid it. And they were teaching it was of the devil. This is a very sharp contrast in doctrine between the Bible and what they were teaching. When I saw that in 1 Corinthians 14, I told my best friend Donna, who also went to that church, I said, did you know, Donna, did you know that Paul said forbid not to speak in tongues? She said, where is that? She pulled off the road. We were driving down the highway. She just pulled off the side of the road. I had a New Testament Bible in my purse, and I handed it to her, and she looked at it and said, that's what he's saying. And we went to her apartment. She had a whole bunch of versions of the New Testament Bible. And we went to her apartment and looked up that verse in every one of those Bibles. It said, forbid not to speak with tongues at the church. Don't forbid it. I said, well, I'm not going to go back to that church. She said, neither am I. So we both left. It should be that simple. You don't have to know a lot of scripture, but if you come across one that is totally opposite from what they're teaching at the church you attend, there's only one choice. You choose the Bible and leave that church. So, as a new Christian, what I did is an example of God saying, you're without excuse to stay in that church. It's the same example of Noah, who basically condemned the world the minute he started building the ark because he believed God and they didn't. I believed that scripture when I saw it. In that church group, doing the opposite. So, there was no question in my mind. I would choose the Bible over the church group. So I left. Well, that's what you have to do also. When the church you attend is teaching something opposite from the Bible. Because that church is the church of the apostasy. In the last days, Jesus is coming 
not to gather the apostate churches. He's coming to gather the elect of God. We see that in Matthew chapter 24. We'll look that up. Jesus says the following, starting at verse 29, concerning the last days and the end time. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. After the great tribulation, the powers of the heaven will be shaken. When that sun goes completely dark, you will know that Jesus is coming. Look up into the air because he's on the way. The day that the sun goes completely dark. One of people that who once attended our church group had a dream about this. She said that she and her husband were going out to buy a new TV. She was at the car waiting for him when all of a sudden... The sun completely went dark. It was totally dark immediately. She said she started to run back into the house, but she knew that wouldn't do any good, so she just fell down on her knees there at the car. She knew Jesus was coming. Well, that's exactly what he says in this scripture here in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, Shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now why would they mourn? We, the elect of God, should rejoice. Our redemption draweth nigh. Why would all of the tribes of the earth mourn? They know they're not doing the right thing. They know they're not following God. They're pursuing their own pleasures. And building buildings and building things on this earth and this earth will be destroyed by God, by fire. That's in Second um, Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 14. Verse 31, And he, Jesus, shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect, not the churches, his elect. That's a portion of people who claim to be Christians because a great many of them are not Christians. They're not born again. They simply attend church and do the things their churches says, such as be baptized, but that doesn't cause you to be a Christian. It's the Spirit of God that causes you to be a Christian. When you have been changed by God into another person than you used to be, you're born again. When God has changed you, not that you have tried to change it's God changed you immediately when he revealed the truth to you and he gave you his spirit so you can now follow God by his spirit doing the things that please God and doing the things that are rules of God because now you have the spirit of God in you which overcomes your own flesh 
and the desires of the flesh and the things the devil would do to get you to go in an opposite way from the Bible. So if you have a question and you want to know what God thinks about it, the first thing you do is pray and ask God for wisdom on that subject. If it's divorce remarriage, if it's homosexuals and lesbians, whatever the subject is, you first pray. And then you take the scriptures and compare one scripture with another scripture. And the Holy Spirit guides you. The Holy Spirit will never tell you something opposite to the scriptures, for he is the spirit of truth. Antichrist will try to get us to go in a way opposite to the New Testament Bible. He will explain things like this. He'll say, but God wants you to be happy. Of course you can divorce and remarry. God wants you to be happy. You could be a homosexual. You still love God. You can be a lesbian. You still love God. You can still do these things. Antichrist spirit will try to get you to go in a way opposite to the way of God, which is stated for us in the New Testament Bible. Antichrist always wants to rule over the church and take us in a way opposite to scriptures. But now you have a New Testament Bible, most likely. Everybody I know has a New Testament Bible. Look it up. Pray and look up the scripture on the subject. A woman once called me. She said she was a minister, and she called me wanting to come and talk to me about her mother's second husband. I turned to God after the phone call, and he said to me, Just follow the scriptures. The circumstances are not even relevant. They're not important. It's the scriptures that you follow. Focus on the scriptures on the subject. Scriptures concerning divorce and remarriage. On this podcast where I have written various things, you're going to find a list of these scriptures on the subject of divorce and remarriage. I'll read them right now. If you have a pencil, you could jot these down. But they're written for you there on the homepage where where the podcast is presented. Scriptures concerning divorce and remarriage for you to consider if you're thinking of doing this type of thing. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 10 and 11 are a commandment of the Lord. Matthew 5.32, words of Jesus to the men. Mark 10, verses 1 through 12, that's very important. That's the whole foundation of God creating male and female, husband and wife. And in that section of scripture, we are told, whom God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. That's Mark chapter 10. Romans 7, 2 and 3 speaks of the divorced woman committing adultery if she remarries. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 18. Because in that section of scripture, Paul tells us how 
the two people become one flesh. And in that section of scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 through 18, Paul is warning the men, if you have sex with, even have sex with a prostitute, you become one flesh with that woman. We'll just stop and read that. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 18. I've certainly never heard this taught at any church that I've ever attended, and yet this should be taught to all young people. If you have a teenager in your family, male and female, you should be teaching them this set of scriptures. For this is the only thing powerful enough to stop them from going out and committing fornication. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Paul says, Shall I then take the member of Christ and make them the members of an harlot, a prostitute? God forbid. What, know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. It is a sin unlike every other sin. And that's what Paul is telling us. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Another subject that comes up frequently today, especially, is the subject of homosexuals and lesbians and other sexual perverts. And we're told on television, by the NFL, by the workplace, we're told to be tolerant, to accept homosexuals and lesbians and be tolerant. Well, if anyone asks me, do you accept and support homosexuals and lesbians, which recently a woman asked me that, does this mean you support homosexuals and lesbians? And I said, no, no. And I gave her the scriptures, and one of them I gave her was in this section of scripture, Romans chapter 1. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural youth into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural youth of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. That's Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. In the Old Testament, homosexuals were called sodomites, and there are many verses concerning sodomites. I have listed all of these verses both in the New Testament and in the Old Testament concerning homosexuals and lesbians. You can easily see the situation if you read those verses. But one of the key verses for us is Romans chapter 1. One time my cleaning lady asked me what I thought about homosexuals and lesbians, and I just took the Bible and read it to her. Romans chapter 1, 
And she listened. And then she said, she's a Catholic woman, and she listened. And then she said to me, well, aren't you afraid to read that Bible? Or she said to me at one point, aren't you afraid to leave that read that Bible? She said, they teach us not to read the Bible, that we might get it wrong. Well, how can you get this wrong? God gave them over to vile affections. And then he described both the lesbian and the men, the homosexuals. And then she said to me, but what about some of them who say they were born that way? Well, I didn't have an answer for her at the time, but God gave me an answer later on this subject. It's in Mark chapter 10. Jesus states these words to the scribes and Pharisees who came to him. He says, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Not homosexual and lesbian, male and female. From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Now, in Romans 1, it says that God turned them over unto vile affections to do those things which are not convenient because they fail to keep God in their knowledge. Let's read this complete section here in Mark chapter 10. For this is the whole foundation of the creation of male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house his disciples ask him again of the same matter. And Jesus saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. The New Testament Bible contains rules for the New Testament church to go by. The New Testament Bible shows us the thinking of God on the subject at hand, so we can follow His rules by His Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul explained the following to the New Testament church. Starting at verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. None of those will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. When we are born again, we turn from our sins. These are sins that are listed in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. We turn from those sins when we are born again. But if we return to those sins, 
Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2 that the condition for you will be even worse than they were before you were born again if you turn from your sins and return to your sins after having been enlightened to the truth. If you return to those sins, Hebrews chapter 10 says, there is no more sacrifice for your sins. If you return to those sins after you are enlightened to the fact that those are sins, that's a very deadly matter to return again to those sins. So he tells us to exhort one another and even more as we see the day approaching because sins will get worse in the world as the day of Jesus approaches. So we exhort the church even more than we did before and warning them. Exhort means to warn with advice and strong warning. Exhort is to warn the church. Hebrews chapter 10 says, For if you sin willfully, verse 26, after the knowledge of the truth, there is no more sacrifice for that sin. So you might read that rather closely, for it warns us. There are at least four sections of Scripture in the New Testament which warn us about returning to sins that we know are sins after we have been enlightened. Hebrews 10 is one of them. Hebrews 6 is another. It says it's impossible to restore a person if they do this. Also, 2 Peter chapter 2, three sections of Scripture, warning us. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.